Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Amber Data Derivatives Podcast. I'm here, I'm here with Yev Feldman, who is the co-founder of Swaps Global. Yev, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking before we jump into Swaps Global and you know your mission co-founding it and what you guys do over there, can we maybe just jump a little bit back into your history and your career and how you found yourself in crypto and where you got started? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, I somehow uh, went from having a very boring career uh, in uh, in the banking space in New York um, at uh, UBS and Bank of America, and one day um, it transformed into a very fun and exciting career that I, to be honest, at that point I was not expected to have. So uh, I spent uh, I spent about ten years uh, in uh, equities trading for uh, mostly for Bank of America. And doing things like making making loans against concentrated stock positions, mm. which um, I thought was not the most useful thing in the world, but it turned out to be uh, very useful when I when I had the opportunity to um, to make the jump over to crypto. I joined BlockFi in uh, 2019, which was uh, early for the company, early for for institutional crypto certainly. Um, so I was um, I can go into it a little bit. Um, Please do that move to BlockFi. It was um, my uh, my partner Renee, who's the co-founder at uh, Swap Global, Renee Van Kestren. He had uh, he had been my boss at Bank of America for a long time, and he left to um, to be very early at BlockFi in 2018. Um, BlockFi at the time was a small kind of you know like region like how there's regional bank. It was kind of like a regional crypto mm. lender. Uh, it was uh, Zach Prince and and, and Flory's company and. They were just making loans to um, to Bitcoin holders, basically. So they would lend dollars uh, against Bitcoin. And while I was uh, working in banking, I wanted to support my you know my friends, uh, you know Renee, Zach uh, at BlockFi. So I just took out a couple of BlockFi loans, and um, eventually that um, that parlayed into um, into getting a job there when they um, when they did the Series A in in July 2019, and that worked really well for me and my skill set because I had the skill set of working with uh, institutional investors to basically lend them money against concentrated positions that other people didn't really want to touch. And BlockFi was this company that its whole business model was, we're going to lend you dollars against Bitcoin that nobody else wants at the time. No one wanted to touch, right? Like this was uh, quite early. So when I joined, it was so small, the institutional space, right? It was really just Galaxy, which was funding a lot of loans. And the reason it was so small was because, well, there were a lot of reasons, because not a lot of institutions were in it, but also the crypto kind of native balance sheet, like in aggregate of space was tiny, mm. right? Because BlockFi was was the first, kind of one of the first two or three companies with along with Celsius and a few others that um, bootstrapped the balance sheet, right? Where people would just like send us coins every day. Um, so that's fascinating. That, um, that's fascinating. Wait, so I don't know much about loans on concentrated stock positions. So maybe we could just jump back to B of A. So does that business model, what does it look like? So basically, if there's a large investor that owns a bunch of, you know, whatever, Microsoft stock, then B of A can essentially make a dollar loan and use the Microsoft stock as collateral, but more so than what you would get on your normal brokerage, which is, I think, 50 cents on a dollar. Um, and then you guys would try to measure the risk and figure out sort of the daily value at risk and see how much you can lend against it at what competitive rates. Is that sort of the idea? You hit the nail on the head. Exactly. 
Um, it usually it wouldn't be for a scenario like Microsoft stock because it's so so liquid. It would really be one common use case would be a private equity company that IPOs a, a company, and and for some reason the fund, the private equity fund, doesn't want to sell out of its recently uh, uh. IPO'd stake, or they can't. So they they monetize it through a bank. Um, and one of the main considerations there, as you pointed out, right, is that those positions are going to be not super liquid. You're not going to be able to sell them very quickly. And you need to uh, be very thoughtful about if you do need to sell, right, like how long will it take you to sell? Because it's like as a general rule of thumb, if you're a lender and you have a piece of collateral and that piece of collateral, as soon as you, basically from zero to 10 days in terms of selling activity, you're you, you're going to be more or less okay as a general rule of thumb. Like you might, you might need to tweak the loan to value ratio a little bit, meaning how much money you lent against it, so that you make sure you don't lose money in those circumstances. But if it's liquid enough within ten days, unless there's some really wild gap event, right, where it just goes to zero, in general you're going to be okay. The interesting thing is there's a huge correlation between when you're lending against in a liquid position that's going to take you longer. As soon as you go past that ten days. Um, actually, the correlation to the probability of some kind of gap event happening to that name, to that issuer, uh. also goes up quite a lot. Like things are illiquid for a reason. Um, so that was uh, that was the business. So it would be lending against things like that. We would also do stuff like lend against um, people's hedge fund shares, which again was was um, very useful to um, to the crypto industry for a long time because we had this basically this giant pile of fund shares called Grayscale mm. that. Uh, Everyone wanted liquidity against, uh, and it became a twenty billion dollar fund. Oh, uh, so it was again, again, like, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So, for those who don't know, if I wanted to essentially generate grayscale shares, I could send my Bitcoin to grayscale. Then I would get shares in response, but there's a, a one year lockup, and so now I could go to the B of A desk and say, hey, I want to get collateral. I want to get a USD loan against that locked up share. Those locked up shares. That was kind of the idea. So we, so we actually, I had clients at B of A that came to, to my desk and said, can you monetize these Grayscale shares for me? And, uh, you know, we, we said, let, let us try, but the answer was no way. Oh, interesting. And then six months, six months later, I ended up at BlockFi, right, where uh, I was able to call the same clients and uh, said, you know, like, uh, if you want to do that trade, we can do it for you now. Wow. And we did. That's fascinating. And so I can actually... The BlockFi business model, I could see a natural extension where there's a lot of protocols um, that have, you know, they launch a token and they have a lot of treasury tokens on their balance sheet. And maybe they could go to a lender like you guys and say, hey, I want a loan, you know, to fund my business on this treasury token balance. Can you guys do that? I guess that would be very hard to value. There's no market for it, so on and so forth. The, the, I would say, you know, the amazing thing about that, the crypto lending business generally, right, was I'll just speak about it in the time from 2018 through 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 now. Um, and I don't know how it's going to evolve necessarily. But I think the amazing thing was it, it was slow to start because it was um, it was really just lending dollars against very liquid coins like Bitcoin at first. And then. People tried a lot of things that you didn't know if you would work, right? Like BlockFi said, just um, and Celsius and others, they said, just send me coins. I'll figure out what to do with them. And that was basically a customer acquisition model. Mm. Um, and nobody knew that, like, um, nobody knew that people would actually send. Why would someone just send you coins randomly, right? Like, you're not Coinbase. Why would someone do this? 
Um, but actually people, people did do that, right? So people sent, I think on day one of BlockFi's kind of interest account, they, you know, they got like 20 million of ether from someone and it was just like, wow. that was bigger than the entire balance sheet at the time. I think they, I think they asked to, for the, for that specific fund to take it back. But the interesting thing is over time, this evolved right into you end up at a, at a crypto kind of balance sheet lending derivatives place like this. As the, the market evolves over any cycle, you do see so much, right? So you start with just very basic products, but then at the end, we were seeing foundations, right? So we were seeing foundations come to us and say, hey, we've got, we just been around, we've got these things are locked up for six years, you guys wanna lend against it. No, okay, no problem, we'll find someone else, right? You had, <laughs> you had foundations that's that, you know, you had, um, you know, you had analysts that were looking like, well, how much should I lend against algo tokens, right? If I make a hundred million dollar loan or a $200 million loan, right? And it was, it was, um, it was really just these balance sheet um, driven places did become a lot at the center of so many flows as the cycle went on. It was, it was an, an amazing thing to see. That's fascinating. So, and one of the natural things I think about with like a loan on an illiquid asset is in a lot of ways it resembles a cash secured put. And so that kind of brings me to Swaps Global. Maybe you can just give us a brief overview of what uh, you guys do at Swaps Global and sort of your journey into becoming a co-founder of Swaps Global. Yeah, absolutely. We're um, Swap Global is a is a is a venture backed crypto OTC dealer, um, which is which is a fancy way of saying we basically just want to make it easy for institutional investors, primarily in the U.S., to be able to trade crypto derivatives. Uh, in a in a CFI manner, right? Because they can't trade on Binance, they can't trade on Deribit. Historically, they've traded things like options, just OTC, find a dealer and price up an option and do it under and is the contract, right? So our mission is to make that process as simple as possible so that for any US institution that says, I want to trade uh, crypto options, I know I have to trade them OTC because there's just not enough liquidity in, in some of the listed ones, right? Like CME, it's just not, not possible right now. Um, or there's margining benefits, whatever. We want to make that as easy as possible. So just go on our website, click a button. Right away, you get an automated confirm. Right away, mm -hmm. you can see that we did a number of things correctly. From the regulatory perspective, which you have to do. So, for example, we will report that option to a swap data repository and things like this. And... The, the reason that we thought that this was so valuable as a company after BlockFi is because what we saw at BlockFi, I'll put aside all the, all the things that people speak about now in terms of tri-party collateral and keeping things safe. I think all these things are, are, are within reason, this is a different kind of surface. What we saw is just the, the operational struggle for 2021. We had, you know, people saw, hey, um, tutors buying, right? Like, how do mm -hmm. we get into the space? How do we do? you have a macro trader right away. The first thing they want to do, they want to go trade options, right? Yes. How do you go? Um, and the process was just so difficult for, for incumbent players to do, because when you do an OTC derivative, uh, which by the way, banks do, you know, trillions of this, right? This is why there's regulations was because of credit swaps, right? This is, this is the largest market that there is for in for any kind of institution. It's hard because you, you need to combine a lot of the things on the sales and trading side with the back office in a, in a very, very, very um, careful way, mm. because you need to, you need to account for these things correctly. You need to report them to a regulator correctly. You need to, to issue swap confirms, which can be like five, 10 pages, depending on what the client wants. And you want that all done almost electronically as if you call an OTC, you know, as if you call Cumberland or whoever, 
where you just go on their website, you click a button to buy spot. We want to make trading OTC derivatives and options for crypto as easy as just going on a website, click button, and that's it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And really having a, a venue for U.S. players is really interesting. And so let's just say you have a customer that wants to buy, you know, just some vanilla Bitcoin calls. Is that something where you would take the other side of the trade and then go hedge out somewhere else? Or do you look for an, a counterparty right away within your network to take the other side of the trade and kind of be just a the facilitator in between? How, how does that work? The, from from our perspective, we will look for the other side of the trade first if we have a sense that it's there. Uh, if not, we'll just go and hedge it. So one of one of the things that we do is we have a model where we have an offshore team, an offshore trading business, which mm-hmm. is able to access more liquidity than just just what is available in the U.S. So this this type of um, swap dealing model is basically what uh, like a lot of commodities players use actually. So. If you're uh, if you're PepsiCo or you're you're Glencore or whoever, they set their things up where they have kind of an onshore dealing entity and an offshore hedging entity, and then you you can have swaps between them. So that's what lets us um, provide kind of more more liquid pricing and more more availability of instruments than you would just get if you were just trading CME. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we do take we do take the other side, but we try to hedge it immediately. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So since you have sort of a global headquarters, essentially, now you can trade on Deribit and, and you can essentially go hedge out on sort of these venues that are locked out from from U.S. players. Fascinating. And then so kind of one more question around uh, this business. So when I think about OTC desks, some of the players that I think about are Cumberland's DRW, Galaxy Digital, Genesis Trading. Now, in the case of Genesis Trading, there was also a classic lending desk. Now, given your background, uh, is this essentially part of your your roadmap as well, is to provide a derivatives OTC marketplace as well as a lending marketplace, or are you guys just focused on the derivatives trading? I love lending so much. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, the the reality is every successful kind of financial player that I've ever seen, you you need a way to have a captive balance sheet. But we're and it's very exciting too but we're trying to do something different which is we we don't you know we're not going uh toe-to-toe against uh galaxy and cumberland and saying we're going to be bigger and we're going to have a bigger balance sheet and have better pricing models and all this kind of stuff what we're basically saying is we think that we can build this kind of boring technology better in the sense of pick a contract define the terms that you want in your confirm we're going to do the confirm and the reporting for you right away and the accounting. And it's amazing how many, um, you know, like I'll speak about Genesis because I, I have many, I have many friends there, right. And they, they, they did amazing things in space, but it's very well publicized. Just the struggles that crypto players have and obviously blocked by crypto players have had in terms of building any kind of back office operation, especially for something like derivatives. So what we really want to focus on is we do want to provide a service today institutional investors and we think we have a very good one because you can just log in and trade i'm not sure you can do that whatever you go to dealer for derivatives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you count with us but we want that technology to be super scalable so that when the market when the um as the market kind of comes in because i've seen this firsthand and as as hedge funds start to get a little bit of um i'll just say fomo right and they, they don't know what to do they don't know who to turn to um and all these deaths are going to be swamped and i think still they're going to have reporting that's done manually and trading that's done manually, 
we want to be there for the industry as look, you can just use our technology, you can use our platform, you can trade with us, whatever you want to do, but we're going to make the ability to provide OTC derivatives for our clients, for your clients, for whoever, we're going to make that seamless and we're going to make sure that it always works and that you don't have to worry about from, hey, did I report the swap? Like which SDR did I report the swap to? So that's what, what we're focusing on. Um, and, and, and there's a lot you can do uh, without growing a giant balance sheet like, like Genesis did. Yeah, that's really interesting. Sort of the administrative back office. I mean, it's essentially the backbone of how everything works, especially when we're dealing with nonlinear products. How does everything, what's the total exposure? How does everything net across the board, both for the customer and for the dealer? That's a, that's really interesting to sort of um, hone in on that segment of it and really kind of be the best in game. Now, I get, I get the question a lot of, you know, altcoin vol and trading altcoin derivatives. Are you guys going to be focused mostly, mostly on the major pairs, Bitcoin and ETH, because those are the easiest to hedge out? Or do you guys plan to broaden the offering to altcoin, to the altcoin space? It's, you have to be where the flows are, or you're not going to get, you're not going to get anything. So you have to be, you have to be there, um, including in altcoin land. One of the fascinating things, you know, just in terms of altcoin options, activity OTC, you're 100% correct. There's so much that was done. Actually, if you look at reporting activity today, um, people are still doing altcoins, right? Like last week, there was a bunch of uh, avalanche stuff that printed. So I think the, um, the main thing, though, is to do it correctly. So my understanding of how a lot of these altcoin option books printed, right, and they're way down in size since Genesis stepped out, which I think indicates that it was mostly, you know, or largely Genesis, is you have to be very careful about how you price it, right? So you can't just go and like, okay, well, I think this is the ball, so I'm just going to plug it into basically Excel spreadsheet, Black Skulls model, and trade it. I'm not saying that I know how to price it better, but... Um, I think you have to be very careful with, with some of these names um, in terms of running a risk book. And I think also it's a little scary to, um, to, to, to offer options on some of these names that don't have liquidity anywhere, like onshore or offshore, right? There's, um, I know Derek is going to list a bunch of contracts so that should at least help guide people's pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have contracts on, on OKX and, and, and bit.com, but the, the volume I think is not, not there yet. So I think pricing and, and how you're going to, you know, how you're going to dynamically hedge those things is either you've got to charge a lot for altcoin options, in which case you'll, to be honest, based on what I've seen in the past run, you'll still have, you'll absolutely still have takers no matter how much you charge kind of at the top. Um, but it's not going to be as, as economical. Like it's going to be harder for your clients to make money and you don't want to put your clients in position where it's hard for them to make money. Yeah, definitely. And as a dealer, there's a kind of a special struggle where, you know, you don't have the luxury of choosing when to participate in the market where the customer does essentially have the, the their, they have the, their own motivations to be a taker in the market. And an illiquid altcoin is almost like an option like payoff where it can just kind of gap up or move so fast with no trades in between that now you're kind of on the hook with a position that really changed the nature if you're short optionality on the other side of it so that's that's a very challenging uh situation for sure and so um where what's sort of the uh roadmap where are you guys on the roadmap right now at swap global and and where do you expect to be in say you know in the next few years we we um we now have uh we now have swap we have an electronic platform so ui or api uh, and you can 
buy or sell outright calls and puts 24 seven Bitcoin ether. There's a bunch of strikes that are available. We're the next thing we're adding because that's what everyone's asking for where we see a lot of activity is packages. So you can basically almost as if we were like a paradigm type of platform, right? Where you just go in, you just build your strategy, you click a button, our system sends you a price. And if you want to trade that package, whether it's, you know, it's a risk reversal or whatever you want, um, you can just go trade it without calling me, without asking for anyone's help. Uh, you can price it anytime, time of night. So that, that's our, ne- that's the next thing that we have. We're also going to have more linear instruments, um, available kind of over, over the coming quarters because we do get a lot of people that are, um, uh, CME futures are very liquid, right? But, um, people still want to trade with coin collateral, which mm. you can do as a, as a swap dealer. You just can't do, you can't do like an infinite amount of it. There's a limit how much you can do. So we do want to offer, um, swaps, um, basically similar, something similar to perps, right? Um, something with an expiry, something without an expiry. So we're going to add that as well. Um, and then, you know, by then we're well into 2024. So who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So in order to trade on your platform, I, I imagine I have to be a high net worth individual accredited investor. Is that correct? You actually need to be an ECP, um, accredited investors for, uh, more for SEC guidelines. So you, you really need to be an ECP, which is, um, depending on what your situation is and through your individual, it's going to be between one and 10 million of, um, assets or equity, depending on which, which of the reps that you fall under, but it, it's available for individuals and institutions. I would say that it's primarily geared towards funds. Um, but, um, because if you're trading, if you're trading more than, than 10 million, you probably have some kind of structure anyway even if you're the, the solo owner yeah that makes a lot of sense and then as far as you know uh margin and things like that go so swap global is also a custodian i can send my coins over to swap global use that as collateral for my positions is that right correct so you can send your coins over to us we're not going to custody them but basically what we do is if you're comfortable with taking risk to us right which not everyone is and not everyone should be but if you if you are comfortable um then what we'll do is basically in the, in the, is the confirm, we just have our system will just have something that your collateral is rehypothecated, re, able to be rehypothecated. Mm. Um, so that, so that is doable. Um, but right now, like I really see a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of counterparty risk concerns. And this is, you know, this is 20 new kind of checkboxes on everyone's due diligence list. The good thing about, about options, right. Um, is a lot of these things are not actually, um, depending on how you, what you're trading, it doesn't have to be that counterparty, uh, risk focus, right? Meaning if you're trading call spreads, right? Or put spreads, depending which way you're going, those things have a certain payoff and a certain mm-hmm. amount that you're putting up at risk. Um, unless you're using that to hedge like a huge position elsewhere, that's not likely to get you into trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're already basically, you're already spending premium on an uncertain thing. Um, and you, it's well-defined how much you're paying. So, um, so for us being in this option space right now, it's kind of, it's kind of, um, a more comfortable way for clients to approach an OTC dealer after everything that's happened, right? Because your risk and reward is already so defined that you can't, you know, it's not like, okay, you've passed all the the diligence exams. Let me, you know, let me send you my coins and you're going to be my, my tier one custodian next to Coinbase or Anchorage or whatever. It's really like, I got this thing, like I'm doing this ETF play, you know, probably not going to work, but if it does, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to risk 60 grand and I'm going to make 10 million. So mm. I'll risk 60 grand with you because you guys made it easy, right? It's not, 
it's not a, as huge of a jump as I want to be long Bitcoin for the next year into the ETF. So here's 50 million. I'm, I'm going to go long, right? Just buy Bitcoin. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I could just basically just worry about the premium that I paid for the position anyways and essentially send that over. That makes a lot of sense. And then um, before we sort of jump on to sort of more personal stuff around, around what you like to do outside of work and things like that, maybe you could just tell listeners where they can find more information about Swap Global. Yeah, you can find us on uh, swapglobal.com. We have uh, also LinkedIn. We have a we have a nice kind of blog, an insights blog. It's um, it's uh, your the blog the blog the blog that you guys have is also very good. The, the, the research piece that you put out, but we we try to be um, data centric, so it's um, it's a nice thing to, to to read. It's mostly about OTC derivatives um, and and kind of good takes on on regulations and, and some public data um, and things we see. So definitely recommend um, signing up for for the blog uh, on swapglobal.com. Fantastic. And then we'll have the links for listeners in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah, just kind of closing up here, you know, when you're not building Swap Global, uh, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? And then lastly, is there any favorite books that you recommend listeners to check out on it, around the industry? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's put a face to the name. Um, I, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm into learning languages. So um, I've been, uh, you know, I've just been learning Hebrew. Um, and uh, Spanish for the last year. So, um, as part of the offshoreness, I spent I spend most of my time in uh, in Tel Aviv uh, over the past year, um, and now uh, now traveling. And then, um, you know, the, the on the books, um, I really had to um, kind of after my time at BlockFi, I had to reevaluate a little bit about how I understand kind of people's behaviors uh, <laughs> in a in a bull market, just because of the 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 amount of things I said I, I saw. Uh, so I start I started getting into some of the um, like some of the older market books um, like uh, you know reminiscence of stock operator and things like this and one really nice one that I read was called the uh, the Zurich Axioms. Um, mm-hmm. It's got a lot more serious name than the the content, but it's really a lot of uh, a lot about human behavior around trading, um, like kind of during this you know twenties, thirties, forties time, um, and how it's so relatable to uh, to some of the things that I think you see in crypto. Uh, at, uh, you know, kind of when you like when you're in that real momentum, retail driven bull time, you just know it. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend that book, the, the, the Zurich axioms to, um, just to, just to try to stay a little, a little stable if you can. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. I've actually never heard of that book, the Zurich axioms, uh, reminiscence of a stock operator. That was a required rate reading on one of the prop desks that I used to work on. That's a classic. But I'm really fascinated to check out this other book. And we'll also link those uh, in the show notes for everyone as well. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was super interesting. Learned a lot. I think listeners learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you. Absolutely.